While some guys are still coming in, a few quick notices. I have to say, it did happen a few weeks ago, but we've got to give it up for Trevor and Sue getting engaged. Give it up for Trevor and Sue. Woo! Do you want to just quickly stand and just do a quick wave so people know? Yeah, and you, Trevor, as well. <laughs> so, so exciting. And by the way, if anyone wants muffins in the morning, if you get here as early as the sound setup team, you get muffins and coffee. So it's a good duty to sign up for. That Sue does. So we do that on that. I also have to um, give it up for, I'm pretty certain that Ray Price got the second longest fish. Is that correct? Second longest fish at the Tiger Tournament. Not first, but second. Ray Price, give it up. Thank you very much. Second again. Next year, it'll be first. We'll pray for you next time. You'll be fine. Uh, and uh, the next one to follow is um, Scott Vincent, who many of you will know, uh, who's part of us. He's uh, international series playing in Morocco. I think he was fourth starting today, final day. But it's great to see him and Kelsey and them living soul out for the Lord. And actually, Kieran Vincent, his younger brother's also there. They tie fourth, I think. So it'll be a good challenge of the brothers. But if any of you follow golf and everything, good to watch on that. So we are in part seven of our series in Colossians, the book of Colossians. For those of you who don't know it, the um, Apostle Paul was writing from prison and he's writing to a new church in Asia Minor, so sort of Western Asia. Um, and he's writing to this church and he's sort of, they've, they've recently come to faith and he's saying this is a bit about what it looks like to follow God. And so uh, we are picking up the story if you are there. Am I standing in a fine place? Ah, there we go. I've got to learn these things from Rory the Great and also Don. Thank you, guys. Don the Greater. Uh, so we're in Colossians uh, 3, verse, uh, we're going to be going to uh, verse 12. And uh, I've titled today, uh, The Red Shirt Resurgence. And now resurgence is this word about people coming back to passion or coming back to prominence or a growth again. And you're going to see, uh, some of you might have noticed I'm wearing a strange shirt. If you weren't here last week, it looks a lot more cheerful than last week. Because last week's one was looking at the verses before, which uh, were not that nice. And when you walk around with lies and sexual morality and greed, you know, it's a bit scary. So I felt a bit happier coming to church today wearing this. But uh, you'll find out more about why I'm calling that a bit later. But I'll start off with saying most superhero movies, they usually start with a rather ordinary person or they think they're ordinary. And suddenly, because either someone visits them or they have sort of a, a moment experiencing the supernatural, they realize there's something more than they thought they were. So Spider-Man, it might be the first time he's doing that attempt to shoot out and nothing's happening. And suddenly it happens and he suddenly realizes, actually, I'm something more than I thought I was. Superman learning to fly and the list goes on. So these, these people, these superheroes, they're seemingly ordinary people, but something happens and for moments of time, they move into a different realm. They're the same, but they're different. They're new, but they're also as they were. So, so that's kind of what we're exploring now in this series. And now the closest thing I've come to that superhero feeling, uh, if I was to describe it, was the first time that shoulder pads came out for rugby players. <laughs> now, the real men back in the day and the real boys used to just play in rugby jerseys. And professionals now are more and more just playing in rugby jerseys again. They've kind of gone back to manhood. But I think when I was sort of Form 1, Form 2, shoulder pads came out. 
And uh, the best thing about shoulder pads is, number one, you obviously looked more scary than you were, because especially if you're skinny like me, you just had this, you know, you looked a, a little bit uh, larger. And uh, it sort of took off the pain a tad when you, you tackle people. I didn't like tackling people. I tried to hide behind the big guys. Um, but anyway, when I had to tackle someone or get in the way of someone and they sort of ran over me and I tried to just grab hold of something, I, at least those pads made me feel a little bit more invincible. And honestly, when I started to put those on, as I ran onto the field, I was just like, there's something different about me. I'm not who I was before, you know? And I, I don't think it helped me in the slightest, but it's the closest that uh, I, I got to it. I, uh, I suddenly thought I could run a bit faster, tackle a bit harder, dislocate more shoulders. Um, but I did feel I was a bit different because of this tiny bit of padding. It's the closest I've got to feeling a bit like a, a superhero in that. And last week, we had a shirt that I was wearing that was a black shirt, but it had written on it many different things that aren't exactly the nicest. So uh, as I said, it had lies, it had uh, sexual immorality, it had greed. Um, I actually didn't read the other ones, but I, I know they were on there. Some people were a bit scared by what I, what I had on. But we wore that, and it showed the mess that you and I face. It showed the things in our lives that some people see, that some people don't see, the things we've done wrong, the things that we are living in now. And uh, maybe for some of you, uh, it's, it's felt like, it feels like you're still dealing with some of those that, that were there. Uh, maybe it feels like you've dealt with them in the past, but they're issues in our lives. We've all got mess in our lives, almost like playing rugby or playing the game without shoulder pads, like I'm doing this, but uh, it's a little bit painful or there's an issue here, and I would love to be like that. I'd love to, be, to feel different like I'm wearing shoulder pads. And then we looked at what it meant to recognize that mess and to see that that mess in our lives, that black shirt separates us from God. There's a perfect God who's here. And no matter how hard we try, we never reach perfection. No matter how good you and I think that we might be, we will never get to his standard of perfection. And uh, that's the difficult thing and the big difference between all other faiths and the Christian faith. So all other faiths, and I'd talk to my friends about this, my Muslim friends, we'd had conversations, or I would call it other friends who would say, we don't really have a faith, but would say, I'm sure the big guy in the sky, we kind of have this understanding. And one day when I die, yeah, everything's going to be fine. And that's when we are doing our lives on the goodness scale. And so the goodness scale goes... I don't know where I am in the, in the level of perfection. Maybe I'm like at 75%. That's if you're in the arrogant side. Or, or else maybe like I'm on like 65, 60%, which means there's 60% of the world who are worse than me. And so the good thing is, is that one day when I meet God face to face, I'm gonna be able to be like, God, but listen, good people go to heaven, bad people don't. I'm in the top percentages. Those guys are not. And so therefore let me in. It's how we can think. Many other faiths live like that. So as I said, um, friends of mine, maybe um, Islamic faith, Judaism, that is it. You sort of go along and go, if I just tick the boxes, if I pray on this certain time, if I do this, if I do that, then one day God might accept me. And so we can live like that. But the way God lays it out, at least according to the Bible, is to say God is 100% perfect and you and I, no matter how hard we will try, we will never, ever get there. We might get to 60% or 70%, but the pass mark is 100. So try as hard as you and I can. One day when we stand before, before God, he'll say, listen, the pass mark to heaven is perfection because that's me. I can't be in the presence of sin. And so none of us therefore can reach it. Hence the reason why Jesus came, the perfect God. And he came to pay a price that none of us could ever pay because God himself, perfection. And therefore, if we receive what he did, in a sense, we put on the red shirt at the end of the sermon, that I preached yesterday, we put on this red shirt. And as we put on that red shirt, in a sense, we take on his perfection. 
we take on God's perfection. So one day when we see him, when we die, when you and I die, the one stat that's 100% certain, right? Each of us, no matter how hard we try, we're not gonna make it to 120, maybe. My great aunt's 101, so she, uh, but she's not gonna make it to 120. Um, no matter how hard we try, all of us will face that stat, 100% certain. And so the thing that I rest on and the thing that scripture says we rest on is we rest on the red shirt that Jesus lays over us when we receive his forgiveness for our mess, for the black shirt. And as we take that on, it means when we stand before God, we're not perfect, but God sees the red shirt. He doesn't see the black shirt. He doesn't see the horrible writing. He sees the perfect shirt. Therefore, we are accepted. And so that's what we looked at last week. That's what we dived into. And so today, what I wanna look at is what are some of the things that if we're wearing a red shirt, if we're saying that we are Christ followers, what are some of the things that should sum up our lives? If people look at us, what are some of the things that they should see? If we're in our workplace, in our families, playing sport, uh, at social gatherings, what are some of the things that people should see written on our lives? And they go, there's something different about that person. There's something different. In a sort of, we were to see with, with eyes, they'd be seeing these red shirts all over the place. What does that look like? So we're gonna dive uh, into that. The first thing that we're gonna look at, this first point is why should we even put on the red shirt? Why should we even display who God is in our lives? Why should we even make a point to give our lives to Christ? Why should we do that? And so Paul, the writer of Colossians, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go there, Colossians 3 verse 12. If not, it's gonna be up there, so don't worry at all on that. This is what he says, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. If you decide to follow Jesus, you make a decision to receive what he's done, to put on that shirt, there's three incredible promises that he gives us, three astounding promises. The first one, it says, as God's chosen ones. There's a few passages, we won't turn to them, but John 15 verse 16, Ephesians 1 verse 4, Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says that God chose us, chose you and I to be sons and daughters of him before the foundation of the world. And so in a sense, we choose God. But in another sense, he's been pursuing us a lot longer than we think we've been choosing him. And so if you're here and you're exploring faith, you're checking things out, I want you to know that you might be exploring. You might have been invited by a friend, you might be exploring, but can I tell you that God has been searching out your heart for a lot longer than you think and be open to what he's doing. So he chooses us. The great thing about that is that our confidence in wearing the shirt, my confidence in wearing this shirt is not that I'm a good person is that he's chosen to be a good God. And so I receive his goodness and that's why I get to wear it. It's not on my merit, it's on what he's done. He chooses us and that's amazing because when we mess up as Christ followers, it's not that we celebrate our weaknesses. We come to him for forgiveness and we say, hey Lord, so sorry about that. But he doesn't take off this shirt. He doesn't rip it off our bodies. It's here and it's here to stay, he chooses us. Next reason why it's so good to wear this shirt, it says holy and holy means set apart. Holy means different, it means otherness, it means our destiny is changed. When it talks about God being holy, it means he is absolutely other to us, beyond us, greater than us. When he says that we are now holy if we're wearing this shirt, it means that we are also set apart for God and for his purposes, to live a life of purpose now and to live with him for all eternity. It's incredible, that, that, that summing up of holy. And the third thing, the great promise of this, it says, beloved. He loves you and I. Maybe some of you are coming here today and you're going, I just don't even know if God really loves. I kind of think he's an angry guy with a big stick. No, no, he loves. He loves and he's proved it on the cross. If ever you doubt that he loves you, look to the cross of Christ. 
If ever you doubt it in life, life situations, look to the cross of Christ. That's the definer of the point of love that he has for us. We've got a red shirt. The reason why we chose the red shirt is because it just symbolizes covered in his blood, the ultimate sacrifice. You know, before Christ, there was many sacrifices. They still happen today in many faiths where there's different sacrifices that happen. It might be money that you pay. It might be things that you give. Back in the day, it was a lamb that was, that was killed. It was a sacrifice. It was, it was proving to us that there's a cost to our sin. It hurts God. There's a cost. There's a payment required. But the payment required for your life and mine was Jesus' blood shed on the cross. It was his death on the cross. It proves his love. So we're right in his eyes when we come to him and before we behave at all. We don't behave our way into a relationship with God. He gives us a new life and then we start to behave like him. But we don't try to be good. He helps us to be good. So remember those things. If you're Christ follower here today, remember that. Remember why this shirt is on. If you're exploring faith, remember that's what you can have in Christ. And remember that when life gets hard, God never promised that he would remove our difficulty from this lifetime. In fact, he promised there would be difficulty in this lifetime. It's a mess, it's broken by sin, by your decisions and mine. But he did promise he'd be with us and he promised that he holds the keys to life and death for all eternity. This lifetime is short. We can think it's a long time, we can, but it's short in the scope of forever. It really is. And if your perspective moves to beyond this lifetime, it helps you to live wisely in this lifetime. So on the back of that, how should you and I live? What should be written on the red shirt of our lives? And you can see some of these things. And this is gonna be challenging, be challenging to all of us. It was challenging to me doing last week's and it's just as challenging doing this week's. What are the first things it says? What's written on this shirt of our lives? First thing, compassionate hearts, having compassionate hearts. Put on then God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. And you just see the commas. For those of you who don't know again, the Apostle Paul, he just loves long sentences. He was one of these hyper-intellectuals, unlike me, I preferred maths at school. So, compassionate hearts. The definition is to have concern for the suffering of others. That's the definition of compassion. It's to have concern for the suffering of others. The compassion Jesus had when he was on earth led him to heal people. It's why we pray for people to be healed. We've got amazing testimonies, even in these two months, of people who have experienced the supernatural healing of God. But it's one of the things Jesus did on earth to show that he has compassion is he touched people's lives. He healed them physically. He fed people. He created things out of, out of nothing. Or fed 5,000 out of five loaves and two fish. He taught people. He taught people how to live he had concern for the sufferings of others and he has that same concern now. In fact, his greatest concern is for our eternal suffering and that would be suffering for eternity absent from the goodness of God. And that's a place called hell, which is just absent of anything good because God is not there. And so he had that sort of concern for us, which is why he came and died for you and I. So his greatest concern is our eternal suffering and he paid that price. It's what led him to the cross. And now he calls us to have that same concern for others, for other people's physical needs, for other people's emotional needs, for other people's spiritual needs. When we see people hurting, do we have compassion or do we brush the compassion aside or Jesus challenging us to do it in our hearts? There's a number of people getting baptized after the service. I can't wait. We're gonna to celebrate together, all of us around the pool. But I spoke to a lot of people and, they were, and I was saying, why are you getting baptized? They said, we've just felt this nudging of the Holy Spirit for ages. And finally we're saying yes to him. God nudges us every day. 
the Holy Spirit, if we're Christ followers, and even if we're not, because God's drawing us to himself, we experience these nudgings in different situations all the time. But do we push it aside and say, ah, I'm just gonna keep living on my own? Or do we stop long enough to say, God, might you be talking to me in this situation? Do we hurt when others hurt? And I've gotta say, I love the heart of so many people here at Hope Church. Um, we set up Hope Cares. Anyone can sign up for it. Um, and it's just a way of when someone's in need, we, we dive in. And lots of people in the group have been going, come on, there's gotta be stuff for us to start doing now. And we're just saying, hey, easy, easy. At the moment, we actually think everyone's cared for. But uh, we, we wanna care for people. We wanna love people. And I, and I love it. We're blown away by people wanting to help however they can. And I'm also grateful that we live in a place in Harare, Zimbabwe, where we can't escape seeing suffering dead bang in our faces. We see it at every traffic light. We see it uh, when we go to the shops and park outside where there's begging. We see it outside our gates with people ringing our gate bell on a Sunday afternoon saying, I want some food or I'd like something to wear. It's in our faces. You can escape it in many places. Uh, maybe there's some parts of, of Harare. Maybe you can in some gated complexes, you can escape it. But if you have a normal house or if you drive on the roads, sure, you can keep your window up, look straight ahead, I've not seen this person. I can't see them talking to me outside the window. You know, I can't see them knocking on that. Yeah, sure, we can do that. But we can't escape it. It's in our faces. And I'm so grateful for that because it gives us an opportunity to just see the suffering of others. It could be self-inflicted suffering. There's lots of people, we chatted to a guy who's come around to our house the last time. I know that he's hooked on drugs. I know that he's drinking away his life. But we have concern because he's suffering. There's something that's led him to make those decisions, who's led him to lie to us each morning uh, when he comes, who's led us to tell us different stories that we can see through right away. But we still give food, we still pray, we still give water if he needs, we don't give money because we know that's unwise. But we have to have concern. Jesus had compassion for us. We need to have compassion. Don't harden your heart. Keep your heart soft. Make wise calls. Doesn't mean you have to give money to everyone, but just just have a soft heart before the Holy Spirit. God's been so kind to us. So it might be sharing of your faith. It might just be praying. It might just be praying for someone. It might just be noticing someone in the crowd or a business colleague shares with you something tough that's happening at home. Hey, listen, would you mind if I prayed for you? Don't even have to be a Christ follower. Would you mind if I prayed? There's very few people, particularly in Zimbabwe, who if you say, could I pray for you, will say, no, nah, I don't want it. Most people will accept, but have compassion. Kindness, go to the next one. This is being um, a person who is friendly, generous, and considerate. Friendly, generous, and considerate. Thinking of others before ourselves. It's having an outward posture towards society rather than this kind of posture. And we can live with that kind of posture. It's, you know, that we, we can live in that space. We can live in the place of going that definition or that phrase, it's us for and no more. That phrase is kind of the posture how we can live. It's the opposite of kindness. It's gonna be, I'm gonna protect my own, but no one else is welcome into the circle. That's the opposite of God's kindness. It's basically, I've got my crew and no one's gonna get in the way of that. You see, when we're Christ followers, we're the reverse of clicky. We're the opposite of clicky if we are Christ followers. We love everyone, we embrace everyone, people different to us, people the same. Why? Because Jesus embraced us. Jesus could easily have said, uh, Craig, not cool enough for my crew. I want those guys in the top 80 to 100% of living well, not the below 80. Jesus could have said that to each of us, but he chose and he accepted every single one of us. There's no clickiness when it comes to God's kingdom. So the challenge for each of us to say, are we genuinely open to others? 
Are we genuinely open to people? You know, friends, church can be a lonely place. A crowd can be a lonely place. You can be the loneliest person in the world in a big crowd. You can someone be lonelier in a big crowd than in a small crowd. And so let's ask Jesus for his eyes to see while we're driving down the road, as I said, out at a coffee shop, in our workplace, at church on Sundays. Let's say, Lord Jesus, would we be outward looking rather than inward? So that's kindness. Humility, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, which should not be very high at all. If any of us were here last week and, uh, and we looked at some of just some of what was written on the black shirt, <laughs> there's none of us who could turn around going like, nah, everything's great in my life. I don't need God's help and uh, I'm an open book. Last two weeks of all my thoughts and everything I've said, we'll play it on DVD and I'm happy. <laughs> none of us would want that. Well, I wouldn't. Maybe there's some really holy people out here. Um, the opposite of humility is pride. And the scary thing is, is the one thing God opposes opposes, is dead set against, is pride. It's amazing. He's not dead set against people who've, uh, who sin. He wasn't dead set against the prostitutes. He wasn't dead set against many things. But pride, says in 1 Peter, God opposes the proud. He goes against pride in our lives. And why would he be so strong in it? Because pride prevents us from coming to Christ. Pride is the one thing that will stop us taking a step closer to God. Pride will be the one thing that says, actually, God, to be honest, I just don't need you. I can do life on my own. I'm, I'm managing perfectly fine. Everything's sorted in life. I actually don't need what you did for me on the cross. And the reason why God's so dead set against that, because he knows that sets us on a course for eternity without him. And he doesn't want anyone to go to eternity without him. And so he says, we need to be humble. Otherwise, we can't come to God and accept what he's done for us. And even as Christ follows, we've given our lives to Christ, whose destination is heaven, we can let pride creep into our lives. And that's when pride leads us to feeling we're better than other people for a particular reason. Maybe because of our accent, maybe because of the color of our skin, maybe our intellect, maybe our success. We can have pride in different areas of life. So ask God to show you, and he will. There's many prayers that God would answer very quickly. If you, after the service today or tomorrow morning, say, Lord Jesus, please, would you give me one person to pray for today? He'll give it to you. You might not want to go and take the opportunity, but he will. Same thing if you say, Lord Jesus, would you show me pride in my life? He'll show you. You'll get the thought one time, that area. He'll tell you. And then it's whether we want to operate in that or not. And patience. And patience. Jesus is so patient with us. So, so patient. How are you and I with other people? And if you're, if you're a natural personality that slants towards organization, perfection, goals, achievement, this will be very hard for you. It's quite easy for me to be patient with people because I'm naturally not the most organized or the most structured. Now, I need to get better. So I'm not saying I need to accept that. I need to get better um, in that area. I do. Uh, but I find it easier to be patient with people because I, I can see that the way that they might be living is similar at times to how I do. But if you are a high, like a type A or somebody who is just, I, I don't know the other one, I think it's a type C. You're someone who is just methodical down the line. You do things perfectly. You do things on time, to standard. You do it well. Being patient is tough. It is very hard. And so you're gonna to need to probably ask God for in that area a lot more help than in others in the area of being paid. Any type A's here in the house? The hyper-organized, yeah, you see, well done. It's tough for you being patient. That was the courageous type A's. The others are like, no, I'm goal set. We're getting to the end of the service. No putting up hands, Craig. Like, uh, get on with it. Seven minutes left. It says it finishes at 10. I need to go home. 
the others, the S's and stuff, but like, it doesn't matter. What is the time? Who cares? You know, it's interesting, eh, that patience is often how we see potential realized in ourselves and others. It's that gap between where we want to be and where we are. It's the gap between where somebody else is and where we want them to be. But patience is that tough in-between of nudging and waiting and being patient before we see something happen. And it could be a situation in our lives. You know, some of us here today need to realize that we can push on a door and push and push and push. But it's a door God does not want to open in our lives. But because we're impatient, we make decisions that are not in line with what he's wanting to do. So we try force situations. We try force decisions. Instead of just waiting and going, God, actually, you're patient with me. I'm going to be patient in this situation. I'm going to wait for you to open something. We learn those. God trains us in the waiting. And we need to see the journey that we're on in other people as well. 13, uh, verse 13, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We're gonna let each other down multiple times. And bearing means, bearing, this word bearing with one another, such a powerful word. It means seeing other people the way Jesus does. It means knowing no one's gonna be perfect and not purposefully looking to the imperfections of someone, but trying to see the good in someone. It's so easy for us, particularly those closest to us, in a way to be trying to catch the other person out on making a mistake, on, 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 on seeing the worst in someone. It's easy for us to do, but Jesus chooses to see the best in us. And we have that choice. Bearing with one another is saying, hey, listen, I know this person is not perfect. They let me down, they let me down, but I'm choosing to see the good in them. But why? Why should we be quick to forgive? It always goes back to Jesus. The only reason we should forgive and can forgive is because Jesus has forgiven us. He's forgiven us of everything. When we look to him, we're able to forgive others. If someone's truly hurt you and done something terrible, I don't say forgive flippantly or lightly. This lady, Corrie Ten Boom, uh, her family died in the concentration camps and uh, she survived. And uh, the one day, and then she became quite a famous speaker, Corrie Ten Boom. If you can get hold of her book, The Hiding Place, read it, powerful book. She shared, saying she was doing a message, she was preaching a message, and uh, she saw at the end this guy walking down towards her, and it was the God who was responsible for her family dying. And he came towards her, and uh, he said, um, would you forgive me? And she said in herself, she was like, I will never forgive. How can I forgive this person who murdered my family? And she said, then she kept having this nudging of the Holy Spirit saying, but like Corrie, you have to. If you don't forgive, you're never gonna be free from this. You're never gonna have release in your life. And I've forgiven you. And there was this huge challenge on this. And so she said, I didn't want to it myself, but in, in God's challenge, I knew I had to. The moment that she did, God did stuff in her life. So I don't wanna make light of hurt and pain, but I wanna say that, looking to God and seeing what he's forgiven us for will just help in a little bit you forgiving others what they've done to you. A few minutes left. The key things above all, verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together. You know, love is so badly portrayed in movies and in books because love's actually a decision to put the interests of someone else before our own. It's not a feeling. Say decision and feelings come later. But in the world in which we live, it's flipped around. It says you must operate by feeling. You feel something towards someone, so you act on it. But 
and then you, then you get love from that, but you don't. Love is a decision and feelings come after the decision. We must be driven by the truth of Christ and the rest will fall into place. If Jesus was driven by feelings, he wouldn't have gone to the cross for you and I, but he was driven by love. So he decided to go to the cross, a painful decision for the better interests of other people. That's what love is. Uh, and it's a deep challenge for all of us. Next week, we're gonna look at that much more in depth. So, so stay tuned on that. Verse 15, almost at the end. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called. And we've actually got peace written here twice. And that was because um, I just forgot that I'd written it on the front. Uh, so we wrote it again. Um, I'm not a type A, you know. Sarah was just like, how did you not know? We, we did it yesterday. I just didn't know. So I just wrote it again. Um, but maybe that's because God wants people here. Maybe he needed to highlight for us that we need peace. Maybe that's what he did. And uh, peace is what the world's after, to go to bed and wake up knowing everything's gonna be okay. Not that it's well, not that everything's brilliant, but it's going to be all right. Why? Because God's in control. And peace happens when we allow Christ to rule in our hearts because he's called the Prince of Peace. And there's a big difference between God being the savior of our lives and being the Lord and savior of our lives. The savior means that we ask him into our lives and we put on the red shirt. The Lord of our lives means that we allow him to be in control of every aspect of our lives. There's a big difference, but he wants us to be Lord and savior. You'll never find peace if you don't let him be Lord of your life. If you don't let him be in control of your life and what's happening, you'll never find peace. Peace is a state when you hand your life to him and you say, God, it's in your hands. I'm gonna do the best I can. I'm gonna listen for your voice, but ultimately I rest in you. You have peace. Doesn't mean the world is perfect around you. So the challenge for each of us is, is he both of that to each of us today? Don't hold on. Allow him to be king and peace will rule. It says there, be thankful. We spoke on this last week, but thankfulness unlocks what God wants to do in your life and mine. Grateful people are happy people. It doesn't happen by accident, it's learnt. Gratitude is a learnt behavior. You learn it. And maybe for some of us here today, we need to make a decision to wake up each morning and just think of one thing to be grateful for. One thing, whatever you can muster, even if life seems terrible, one thing. And from that, there'll be more and more and then God will unlock things in your life and mine. Gratitude does so much. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing, that's challenging one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness again in your hearts to God. The word of Christ, it's God's word. And these are supernatural words. They don't get old. They don't become obsolete. They are supernatural. They're new and fresh. I can read through this again and again and again. And there's new things that God shows me each and every day. It can be applied to today all the time and there's power in it. But how do you let that word of God dwell in you? By reading it. Start small. Maybe you've never picked up a Bible before. If you don't have money, just take one at the back or download an app. Uh, but, but, but I'd recommend starting with uh, the Gospels. They're the, the biographies of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, I'd maybe start with Mark or, um, or Luke. They, they, they're shorter about, more about Jesus' life. But start somewhere, maybe one verse a day. But start reading and you'll see what it does in your life. You'll see how it changes the way that you live. If you'd love us to help you uh, more on that, please do chat. But, but are our, it says there, um, dwell in your teaching and admonishing or challenging each other. What are our social conversations like? 
Do we push each other to speak about things of God? If you have a braai on a Friday or Saturday, how much of the conversation is things of faith, things that inspire, things that build up? We can easily allow social gatherings to just kind of become a bit random or ordinary, but God wants them to be rich. What kind of music are we listening to? Are we listening to music that helps us worship the King? What's the primary music that you and I are listening to? Is it filling our minds and our hearts with great stuff or not great stuff? It's all good challenges to help us put on this red shirt. And finally, the ultimate conclusion. Verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, quite often we can feel like on Sunday or coming here, picking up a Bible, bringing our kids along to kids' church, um, we tick the box. You know, th those, are the, those are the God things in our lives. But this passage goes dead set against that and says, do everything in the name of the Lord. Everything can have value in God's kingdom. Having a shower, take for example, in your shower, there could be a number of things. You could be saying, thank you, Lord, for hot water. You could be saying, thank you for water. You could be saying, please help the water in my tank to last. Uh, you know, there's any number of things. The point is, is your shower could be a great God connection time. Eating your breakfast, brushing your teeth, invite God into everything. Invite Him into every aspect of your life. There's nothing that's mediocre in God's kingdom. You then walk with Him every day. It's special, it's powerful. We pray together before every meal. We get the kids to pray, we engage, we, we do different readings together, we make it alive, but we do that because we want everything to be about God. During sport, gym, driving in your car, um, lunchtime touch rugby, which is a lot better than evening touch rugby. Anyone who plays evenings, you know, Dirk Villeneuve and others, um, lunchtime is better, <laughs> I'm joking. Anyone who doesn't have a real job, I only work one hour a week, so that's why, this is my hour up, so I can play anytime. Um, but it's, it's all for God's glory. We, we, can, we can do everything with awareness of God. Brother Lawrence said you can wash dishes to the glory of God. Martin Luther King said you can milk cows to the glory of God. We can give him thanks. We can do everything. There's nothing random in God's kingdom. Should we stand and pray? Let's stand and pray together. Uh, you can have your eyes open. You can have them closed. Uh, closed sometimes just helps us uh, think about God. Just as we close and get ready for baptisms, maybe there's some of you who have never put on the red shirt. You, uh, you know there's mess in your life, but maybe for the first time today, you've gone, man, I, I realize I've been living on the goodness scale. I've been thinking that one day the big guy in the sky is gonna, everything's been, been going okay. And today for the first time I've realized, man, I need a payment for my sin. I want my eternal destiny to be secure and there's a God who died for me on the cross. And right now today in your heart, you can put on that red shirt. It's as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I recognize that you're alive and I recognize that what you did for me on the cross paid the price for my mess. And Father, right now, would you come in? Would you change me? Would you put that red shirt on that black shirt of my mess? so that one day when I stand before you, God, I don't stand on my own merit. I stand on what Jesus did on the cross. And so it's as much as saying, Jesus said, says in Romans, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus just said, repent, which means change our thinking, turn around the other direction and believe. And in an instant, your life has changed. And you can do that. So if that's you today, you can just in the quietness of your heart and your spirit, you can say, I believe. Lord Jesus, change me and he will.
right now, this moment. And then for others of us, some of this writing, some of these areas in our lives, it's got a bit faded or it's never been there. Maybe some of these things written here just aren't characteristics of our lives. And if we walked around, as it were, with a spiritual red shirt, people wouldn't be seeing some of this writing in our lives. And we, we just say, Holy Spirit, would you help us? We can't do this in our own strength. We can't get better on our own. The way we get better is by receiving more of your strength and your supernatural power. So I pray that as, as Hope Church, you would help us to be people who, who wear these red shirts boldly, that there would be a red shirt resurgence in Harari, that people in a sense would be seeing in the spiritual these red shirts dotted all around with writing all over from this passage. And they'd be saying, there's something different. There's something different. I've got to know what it is. Would that rise up amongst us and in our city? Would we be bold and full of light for you and for your kingdom, God? And as a result, would many come to faith? Pray you'd help us in your powerful name we pray. Amen.